Laura. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, my guest and I are very much like Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman in The Fifth Element in that we've never actually been in the same place at the same time. So, Tanner, is The Fifth Element a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? I feel like it's going to be at some point, uh, but really, really should be, if only to get it away from Luc Besson. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. I meant to sit down and like look up all the other things that he's done, and I forgot. Okay. The important things are he, he did this. He did Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. That's the only other one I could name off the top of my head. He did a really creepy underage romance story. Oh, no. And then married the actress from it. And then what the actress? Married. No. So, yeah, he's he is a straight-up child predator, and... Like, my friend went on a tear the other day about, what, like, how come he's not said the same phrase as, like, Woody Allen and Roman Zelansky? It's a good question. And the answer is... Hollywood. Well, I mean, the other two are also in Hollywood and still making stuff and being nominated for Oscars just this year. Exactly. But, I, yeah, that, that is, that's shitty. So, sorry to jump that on you. I, I thought that's something that you would have known going in. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I watched this movie and I just know, like, you watch this movie and you're like, well, this guy has, isn't great with women. Yeah, well, see, that's the other thing. That's the thing that, once you know more context for the fifth element, it's really skeevy because he's got Mila Jojovich, who he then married after making this film. Oh, God. But she's basically playing a, a very infantilized woman. So it's like, here's the good version of what I did. Air quotes, air quotes. Like, this, this movie establishes if not a it like epitomizes if not establishes the trope of of born sexy yesterday yeah the like one of my big things was going to be is that we have to make her competent and the honest truth is that she is more competent in the movie than you remember her being but she's still like i'm an adorable baby look at how sexy the baby is <laughs> Orange yeah, hair, she, she speaks baby talk gibberish yeah yeah it's wild so is that why you picked this movie to remake? Partially. The other reason is that it's still a movie I really, really like ever since I was a child. Uh, yeah. So I was having a conversation uh, with a friend the other day and I was like, this is a bad movie. It's most definitely a bad movie, but it's a bad movie that people like love because it's just colorful and pretty and explosive and stuff happens and it's crazy and nothing makes sense. But it, like you're just watching this thing and you're just like, well, I'm having fun. And sometimes that's enough. Yeah, it's it is uh, it's a romp. Yeah, it very much is. Do you remember the first time you ever saw this movie? I'm pretty sure I was. When did it come out? Because I probably saw it shortly after it came out on DVD, the hottest new technology. Ooh. I hear nothing's gonna ever top the DVD. We've peaked. It came out in '97, so I probably saw it in '98 or '99. It was, like, for a long time, my go-to sick day movie, if I had nice. to stay home. And my mom would be like, T like, when you're feeling better, you can just have some soup and watch a movie. I'm like, okay, I'm immediately plugging in The Fifth Element. <laughs> I like it. That's very funny. Also, apparently, I am the only person who likes Ruby Rod. I don't think that's true. Do people not like Ruby Rod? It, it made Chris it made Chris Tucker's career. <laughs> exactly. I, 
look, I, I think there are a lot of people who might have negative opinions about Chris Tucker now. Oh, what, what, what did Chris Tucker do? I think he just got super religious. Oh, okay. Honestly, <laughs> that's like small beans when you compare to everyone else in Hollywood. I mean, depends on what kind of religious. Okay, that's true. But I, and I don't know that. I just know he hasn't worked a bunch, so, or hasn't worked a lot, a bunch recently, so it could go either way. Mm-hmm. All I know is that I also, on a regular basis, whenever I'm watching a movie with people and something horrifically dies or explodes, I will always say, damn, ain't no way that's going to be in Rush Hour 3. And that's just <laughs> a thing. I say all the time, I am quoting the outtakes from the end of Rush Hour 2 constantly. <laughs> and that's just my life. I first saw this movie a few years ago. I've mentioned it before on the podcast that I had movie nights with uh, with my friends Cam and Cam. And we would do movie nights of movies Sam hasn't seen. And this was one of them. And this movie's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I watched it again last night for the purposes of this. And that's the second time I've ever seen this movie. And this movie's crazy. There's a lot going on. And it's like, when I was trying to figure out ideas, I had a pitch. And I was trying to figure out the execution. I'm like, I should get rid of this. But I, I kind of don't want to. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on and yet not enough. I mean, that's the the other thing about this is that apparently it was written when Luc Besson was like ten years old. What? Which makes a lot of sense. This is Luc Besson's Aragorn. Uh, apparently, it is, and like I can see that. I can definitely see what's going on there. The problem is, I don't think he ever like did a second take on it. He was just like, yeah, here's all the ideas, and like there there's a, a cool woman and the five elements, and there's these guys who can shape shift, and a guy named Zorg, and a guy named Zorg. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's like, well, there's so many, there's just so much happening at all times. And then Zorg has like this army that he's actively betraying. And that's like a whole plot line. And then they just decide to screw everybody over because if Zorg wants it, they'll get it instead. But then they just blow everything up. And it's just so weird. Oh, I think <laughs> it's so weird. I think the the point of the Mangalores was that they he dishonored them by blowing them up after they completed the mission to the parameters he set because he didn't set the right parameters. And because when they blow up the hotel after, they say for the honor. So they were solely operating on revenge at that point. Oh, absolutely. Who wouldn't? And I, I, I like them as, like, just a wrench in everyone else's plans. I like them more than I like a lot of other elements, just because they're the, they're kind of the goofy Team Rockets of the movie. The incompetent villains. Yeah. And that's fun. And, like, then when they're trying to sneak in and steal, uh... Corbin Dallas's like prize winning tickets and like their face modification thing is shifting and not working right and then they dive into a pile of garbage. Yeah. It's great. It everyone who's in this movie seems like they're having a good time and I think that's part of why it's it's lasted as long and people remember it so fondly just because like you can just feel the joy everyone is experiencing making this movie. Actually, apparently Gary Oldman hated making this movie, which is like if this is Gary Oldman not enjoying his work, I imagine what it's like when he is. A- <laughs> I mean, that is true. But luckily, Gary Oldman is such a good actor that it doesn't matter what he's actually experiencing inside, because we'll never know. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I also wouldn't enjoy having, like, a, a weird, like, just a... Ch- well, I guess it's just a... What, what's the haircut style where, like, you shave part of your head? The undercut? But this is beyond undercut. undercut. This is, like... One part undercut, one part emo swoop with a goatee and a salad bowl. Yeah. Uh-huh. The classic look. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So for people who haven't seen Fifth Element, before we get to Tanner's pitch, basically 
there's an ancient prophecy and aliens come down to earth and take these four elemental rocks out of a temple and they're like well and the priest is like well, what do we do if aliens come and the aliens are like what do we do if al- with the, with the darkness and evil comes and that's a good point but then like the door is closing and they leave the key behind and none of that is important or relevant for the movie you don't need any of it yeah they they like the, what they say is that the idea is that they don't trust humans with the elements and the fifth element which Every 5,000 years, when the planets are in alignment, the ultimate evil arrives, but then the fifth element, surrounded by the other four, this perfect supreme being, shoots a laser and stops it. And so the aliens yeah. come down on the eve of World War One, and they say the stones aren't safe here, and when 300 years, when the evil's actually scheduled to show up, then we'll return. All of that happens over the course of the movie, and we don't need any of that early exposition, because we're going to find it all out later. Yeah. So, 300 years later, in... 2,242, something like that? Around there. Or no, or World War One. 2,213. Yeah. I, history, who even knows it? We're in Jetson's future. There's this guy, Corbin Dallas. He drives a cab, uh, and he's driving around. And then meanwhile, space aliens and explosions. And oh, this crazy thing is here. And we're going to let in these aliens who are trying to find sanctuary. But no, other aliens blow it up. And then it lands. And then they rescue something that has a couple of cells. But they're perfect cells. Oh, my God. And they bring to life this... uh, They bring back to life this crazy alien-looking thing. And it turns out it is, for lack of a better phrase, a hot chick. Yeah. It's it's Mila Jojovic before Resident Evil. And... Every literally everyone in the movie has the hots for her, and that's her character arc. Yeah, she she speaks the divine language, which is basically just gibberish, gibberish baby talk. Yep. And so she pulls a, a an apocalypse from Age of Apocalypse, and she watches TV, and then says she's learning. Yeah, she goes through all of Wikipedia. She, by the by the time of the end of the movie, she's reached the letter V, and has only seen the good stuff so far. Yeah. And then she gets to W and discovers war, and she's like, what is this? And she's like, you know what? It's not worth it. The darkness should destroy everything anyways. Yeah. And and then uh, apparently Bruce Willis's makeouts are so strong that she just changes her mind. Yeah, because the fifth element was love. Yeah. So she escapes from, like, the science lab that brought her back to life, and uh, she escapes and then crashes through the roof of uh, Corbin Dallas's cab. And then she says, please help me. And please take me to this priest. And uh, Bruce Willis does it and takes her to the priest. And then she gets naked and uh, the priest kicks Bruce Willis out. (laughs) Meanwhile, Bruce Willis has been announced that he's won a major contest to go beat like like a pleasure cruise thing. And it turns out Bruce Willis is a secret, secret soldier for the government. We never knew. And it's just, oh, man. So we're going to send him to uh, the this place and go figure out where these rocks are and oh no now the priest and lilu need to get get and steal from him what a crazy coincidence it's this stuff keep there's so many coincidences coincidences in this movie tanner well, okay, there's so no, many. It's, it's not a coincidence that he wins but i thought it was until my rewatch because i had the subtitles on and bruce willis says oh you're ready for the competition and the general goes uh-huh because like they show up to recruit him back back into the army I didn't know that until like yesterday because what what Bruce Willis really says is so he's uh oh no I don't remember the name of that character from Homestar Runner <laughs> um senior something it's a uh, 
no It's like old, strong, bad, grown up. It doesn't matter, but that's the voice. <laughs> no, I'm. It's not the fact that the contest was rigged and Bruce Willis wins. It's the fact that oh, he's this random taxi guy whose roof got crashed into, who also happens to be this amazing super soldier uh, trained by the army. We which and we don't find out until an hour into the movie or something. Yeah. We, we Bruce Willis doesn't meet Lilu until half an hour into the movie. And he never meets Gary Oldman, the theoretical villain. I, I kind of like that. I think that's funny. Because this is, it's almost a screwball comedy, but it's also a space opera. I would be way more into it if it was a screwball comedy. Like, that would be great. I don't think my pitch is for a screwball comedy. <laughs> just, just Scooby-Dooing out through all the doors. Ah, uh, that would be rad. Um, anyway... Uh, they they go to this pleasure cruise. Turns out the rocks are inside the tummy of a really uh, good singer diva lady who's super cool, and she put the rocks in her tummy. Luckily, she got shot in her tummy, coincidentally. So Bruce Willis is able to just, like, reach into her tummy and get the rocks, and it's like, oh, we got the magic rocks! Yeah, I would but, assume... Oh, no. I'm assuming that if she didn't get shot, then Plava Laguna would just, you know, baby bird him. I... She has so many weird tentacles on her head. Just put on extra fake tentacles on her head. It's fine. <laughs> and then she can just like ka-chunk, ka-chunk them off and just hand you the extra the extra head tentacles. Here, hang on. Op- let me open up my skull tube. Yeah. The skull tube isn't being used for anything. It's <laughs> clearly uncomfortable. Why not put some rocks in your skull tube? These all these incredibly beautiful costumes and designs, and then she comes out, and she looks great too, except for the fact that her head is obviously a balloon. Well, what's crazy is like they 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 are hiding her because she first walks in and, and she's in um, a burka and she's completely covered, and then when you see her later, it clearly can't be the same person because the head that you see uncovered wouldn't have fit under the burka that she'd been wearing earlier. She inflated it. Oh man, she uh, she's wearing her Nike Air head. And she pump, pump, pumped it up. Uh, my ni- my references aren't only from the 90s. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Then they go, they go to the temple, they plug in the rocks, and they magically have all of the things they need, which are blowing on it, sweating on it, dr- throwing dirt on it. And uh, Corbin Dallas just has one, luckily has one coincidental match left. From They did hint at it at the beginning of the movie, but oh boy. And then it takes him five million years to get the fire on top of the rock it's fine anyway then they save the 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 all of existence because uh making out yeah they make out and then now the earth has two moons which i'm sure will be totally fine for everyone but the tides tanner the tides won't someone think of the tides and then corbin and lilu get stick in the healing pod and the president wants to meet them but then the doctor looks inside and uh oh they're fucking yeah and then corbin's mom calls and chews out the president yep the, the women in this movie are so poorly treated. Like, we have the one person who's clearly awesome and good at everything, and she's just a sex object. We have everyone else in the movie who's just a sex object. And then we have Corbin's mom, who we never see, so she can't be a sex object, who is based just, like, a, a, the, the stereotypical nagging mother. Yeah. The only other woman who's, like, vaguely competent is the blue diva lady, and she's she gets shot, and then they have to get rocks out of her tummy. Yeah, gotta get those tummy stones. I mean, stomach stones. I I, I agree makes more sense, but I've already committed to saying tummy a bunch. <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 Fifth Element. 
it is super fun. Like I'm making fun of it as I talk, but it is genuinely an incredibly fun ride and it is worth your time. Enjoy. Yeah. Tanner. Yes. You uh, have ideas. You have things you want to do. You have a pitch to remake The Fifth Element. I do. I am here for it. It hinges on two things. First off, this movie is almost an anti-capitalist movie. How so? So the the villain, I mean, I guess the main villain is the ultimate evil, but the face villain is Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, who is obviously a major capitalist billionaire. It's the 2200s. He could be a trillionaire by that point. He's introduced by one of his cronies saying, the economy is heating up. They want us to fire 500,000 people. And Zorg says, ah, fire one million. He has a whole speech about how destruction is the root of all life and that as long as his factories are working, then everyone else can keep on living, that we're in the same business. And then when he's dealing with the thing known to destroy everything, he's like, okay, well... As long as they pay me triple what I asked for before, everything's fine. Yeah, that's fair. All right, I'll give you that uh, capitalism is indeed the enemy, and uh, I can imagine the one true evil in the universe would have put capitalism on this planet to destroy us. Go on. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that capitalism came from the ultimate evil. I'm saying that capitalism is what makes Zorg look at the ultimate evil, where he surely understands that if it lands on Earth, all life in the universe ends. And he's like, yeah, but I can make a buck off of it. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. The other issue is Lilu. I'm take I'm going to take this cho- this infantilized woman and replace her with a competent real child. Oh, you're actually going to make it an actual child. Actual child. All right, that is not what I did. I went hyper competent. But uh, I'm interested in your pitch. Go on. So, my idea is I'm still I'm still trying to iron out some parts, but I'm thinking that instead of the ship with the fifth element returning to Earth getting blown up the like the day that the evil is supposed to land because that's the other thing this movie takes place over i think 24 hours <laughs> wow yeah okay crazy go and on. the mondachuans i guess they know how to push a deadline because they show up when there's like 12 hours left and immediately get blown up i'm thinking they show up like 15 years before the film starts that's our prologue they're approaching the earth space border they're told to stop and they're like we are bringing an important uh item that needs to be returned to the planet and Earth being Earth, and evidently being led by, like, an American majority, they're like, oh, they didn't get permission, so blow them up. So it's the Earth government forces that blow up the Montechewans, but they manage to get one escape pod out. It lands in, like, the middle of nowhere America, but someone finds it, opens it up, and it's a little baby! Mm-hmm. And so the fifth element, instead of being, like, this cloned hot woman, is a normal child well, normal child. She's raised normally in an orphanage, has to grow up to become street smarts, but she's plagued by the visions because she's the fifth element. And that's what leads her to New York. Around this time, Vito Cornelius, the priest, has been trying to get an audience with the president for the past 15 years. The old, the old government wouldn't take him, but now there's a new president. I'm going to establish that this is like a president in the first few months of their term. They're like, okay, well, there's a giant ball of fire on the edge of the solar system. Maybe this guy seems to know what he's talking about. We should let him in. That's when he comes in and tells them about it. And they're like, why didn't anyone tell us before? Well, I've been trying for 15 years after I lost contact with the Montechuans. And no one let me until literally just now. All right. And then that's when the general's like, oh, we blew up the Montechuans 15 years ago. And that's when the priest goes, oh, well, all is lost now. 
But then they use their government resources to track down the girl. And the general is like, we should keep this between us because he kept calling her a weapon. So maybe we can take advantage of her after she stops this evil. That's the other thing. I'm making the, the general an explicit villain as well. Yeah, I cut the general because I didn't think he had a purpose. But uh, explicit villain, why not just make the general Zorg? Because the general is in Zorg's pocket, essentially. That, that's that's kind of what, more what I meant. Yeah. Great. Okay, good. Go on. So the general uses the government resources to track down the girl. So instead of her, like, waking up in captivity because she was just resurrected, it's she was basically seized off the street, like, almost as soon as she arrives in New York and taken to a government facility. And, like, because the clock is ticking now, she's able to use her, like, super strength and martial arts that she doesn't even know where this is coming from. Yeah, so in the movie, Lilu has super strength that she uses once, martial arts that she uses a couple times... And uh, she is super resistant to damage until she's not. Basically, yeah. She's she's resistant until Corbin needs to save her. Yeah, and t- until uh, the big strong man has to come in and save her. Yeah. And save her. That's true. Who had fucked off and left her alone for a few hours and didn't know where she was. Yeah, I truly don't. Like, I think what you're supposed to get is that she chose not to attend the concert because she wanted to wait for Plava Laguna in her room. But then the Mangalores show up by the time she gets there, and she has PTSD because she was alive when she blew her up her ship. Yeah. The, it, so in the movie as it is, Bruce Willis and Lilu uh, land on this pleasure barge and then immediately go two separate directions. Yeah. And don't, and don't reconnect until, like, basically everything's over and everyone's fleeing the ship. Bruce Willis points to a camera and says, that seems to be where she might be goes to the one room, gets her, and leaves. Like, both of their arcs on the ship are completely unrelated. And the fact that Corbin manages to get the special rocks out of the blue tummy is magic. Pretty much. But I'm sorry. So, uh, in your version, Lilo's just been captured by the government. Yeah, but she still breaks out the same way. She bursts through a wall of tinfoil and then jumps off a building and does crash land in Corbin's cab. Okay. That whole sequence is pretty much the same. And then, like, he, she's out of it, knocked unconscious, when he takes her to the priest. Like, she doesn't even know what she's saying. She's, like, in a fugue state when she says his name. So he's like, well, this is the only lead. I guess I'll track her down. Tra- track the priest down. And then that's pretty much the same. I, I, I'm thinking I'm just taking out the Mangalores entirely. I'm replacing them with okay. the cops. Yeah, I think you can replace them with the cops and military. Like, the U.S. government, just make it a more explicit villain. Consider, like, the considering version. the police have rocket launchers on their flying cruisers. Yeah, that, that's fine. I, I have no notes about that. There, there that, could easily be a line that's like, is it the military? No, it's the police. Oh, same thing. Yeah. I mean, you could just call them the, like, the, the millicops or the cop, cop, ter, copitary. Mm, that doesn't work. We could just call them the military police. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. I mean, if you want to be boring about it or whatever. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. Okay, so um, Corbin Dallas brings her to uh, see Priest Cornelius. Does uh, I also cast Billy, a.k.a. Baby Priest, just for fun. Oh, yeah, because I did I too. Because I an actor who I thought would be fun for that. But uh, so then what happens next in your version? So in my version, uh, Corbin still gets shuffled out of the room. And then the priest, like... Lilu trusts the priest because he's able to explain all the stuff. Like, I know what's going on with your tattoo. I can explain your visions. Here's the history of the fifth element. And she's like, okay, I I can go along with this because I want to find out what's going on. And it's kind of cool that I can save the world. Mm -hmm. And then they, when they figure out where she needs to go, 
whether it's from visions or maybe she has like another tattoo that's like triangulating the location of the planet Floston. The they still need to track down Corbin because the military has still set him up to win the contest. Okay. I'm going to end up tweaking that, but continue. Okay. Uh, he still gets knocked out, uh, but then, yeah, so the military shows up, he shoves them in the freezer, the Vito and Lilo show up, and then he has to hide them when the cops show up because they're on Zorg's payroll, but because Cornelius did the, like, switch of the placards, they still get the wrong guy, and so then Vito still talks out Corbin and, uh, like, takes Lilo to the thing, and Lilo's like, wait a second, now I'm having doubts, I'm like, I'm sure you're fine, but Corbin seems, like, competent in everything. Like, maybe he's the guy who should be accompanying me on the dangerous mission. Right. And so, and Corbin does show up at this point because, like, in their few interactions, it would it would be much more like a fatherly, fatherly relationship than him falling for her. And he's like, oh, I have to protect this kid because it's a kid. All right. So I would say we're now at about the halfway uh, part of the movie. I'm going to back us up a little bit and I'm going to ask some clarifying questions. Okay. So if we have uh, Lilu arriving on the planet 15 years ago and she's like a 15-year-old teenager, what's going to end up happening is, I mean, we obviously wouldn't, but theoretically, if this was being made, that means that you would cast an 18 to look younger adult, and then you could have all the same problems because you're casting an 18. No, I have a 15-year-old. Okay. Okay. If you have a 15-year-old specifically, I'd still, I would still vote to either make her 10 or 30, but you have a 15-year-old, so we'll I mean, roll I, I'm saying 15-year-old because she was the best child actor I could think of without, as you like to say, ending up on a list. Fair enough. <laughs> I do like to say that, and uh, and also have done that. If we were to find, a, like, a 10-year-old unknown, I would be down for that, too. I just wanted to be able to put yeah. a name on her. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's also literally what I had to do last episode when uh, we re- remade Dragon Ball Evolution, but... <gasps> <laughs> yeah, that's the episode that precedes this one. Oh, Get boy. hyped. <laughs> um, I go down so many nerdy rabbit holes. But, okay, so then, it, being that as it may, we'll get back to that later. I don't like that Corbin Dallas, the person whose cab that Lilu crashes into, happens to be also this grade A military whomever. I think that's a ridiculous coincidence that we don't need. What I would do is I would potentially have, I would just have him be like an engineer who works on his cab because it's just like, it's just the thing he likes doing. He gets to earn money to work on driving his cab and he gets to earn money doing it. So then the reason, and so like he has this crazy cab that he like tells him about because he's always bragging about his cab. And that way, when they are preventing, like the, the military police are preventing Lilu from leaving the planet and going after this thing, they shut down all transport off the planet. Luckily, there's someone who's already taken his, who's already jailbroken his car. Oh, yeah. His ass, his Astro cab or whatever. So not only can it do dr- runs around the city, it can also do runs from like planet to planet or from planet to like space cruiser. And so because he was already bragging about it, they already know that they can go bother him. And they get there at the same time that the military, that the military police show up because they can still see that this is a functioning vehicle. And for some reason, it didn't shut down when they did the, like when Zorg hit the button and shut down all transport off planet. So then the military and the Cornelius priest people are all converging on Corbin Dallas at the same time. And all he's trying to do is enjoy his lunch. Okay. I, I, I like that. Um, I was keeping Corbin being ex-military because of a thing I was going to do later, like, in the last act of the film. My idea was, instead of Lilu discovering war, she gets, like, 
she gets visited by the darkness, like the same way that he can contact Zorg and other people. The darkness gets in her head and the darkness shows her all these horrible things that humanity has done. And it's like, she, she knows about like war and violence and stuff, but it's different when it's being directly blasted into your brain. And one of the things she would see is that the military, um, the military platoon that shot down the Mondashuans and her as an infant was Corbin's. I don't love that. That, 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 that's very clever. It's very emotional, but it, there's a thing in movies that there's a real habit to like make things just very neat and that those types of coincidences always rub me the wrong way. Obviously they keep doing them. People love them. It's all, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if he was the guy? And I, it, it keeps happening because these things do keep happening in movies. And so you are probably right. I am probably wrong, but I, then it feels like they have a grand interconnected destiny. And that always bothers me. You know what? That, that is a good point. And I, I do like your idea of Corbin being like an everyman. Like we can perfect. I'm perfectly happy having that. So the scene where Corbin almost gets mugged at the beginning of the movie and a guy has just an image of the other side of his uh, people on his hat head. Give me the cash. And it's great. And I love it. And I didn't recast that guy, but he stays in the movie because he's amazing. Okay. Like literally we, we can just have Corbin be like, okay. And then he just like beats the guy down. And then she can see that he did violence to this random guy. Like, we can see something that he's done previously in the movie. We can see him beating up other people, and she's like, you did that? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. Because I do think, between her getting attacked, we need something else to make her, like, doubt whether it's worth it to stop the evil. Like, make she has to be feeling like evil's already won. Yes, I agree. And honestly, you're on a pleasure barge. I'm sure evil's already won a lot of places on a pleasure barge. Like, we see one room, and it's the opera room, but it's a pleasure barge. There's going to be a lot of things going on there that would make anyone question the faith, question their faith in humanity. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Um, but anyway, what did you have next? What did you have going on after uh, they reconvene and re, uh, redraft Corbin Dallas? Honestly, but that was pretty much the same from there until her getting visited by the evil. Uh, like, the only major change within there was that instead of the Mang- because I took the Mangalores out, it's once again the military attacking the Pleasure Barge. And this is, like, a moment where the president realizes that, like, the military has basically gone rogue and they don't have control over them. So the president is the one who, planet side, takes down the general character. Okay, great. Love it. And so th- then that's another reason for, like, the president <laughs> to be giving the stank eye to him and also contacting Corbin directly when they do manage to get their way out of there. Okay. Uh, what happens on the pleasure barge? Do you still have the diva? Do you still have her be transporting the rocks in her tummy? Yeah, it's still tummy rocks diva time. If we want to make it more like the pleasure barge, more of a den of sin, we can definitely have Lilu like roaming around and like, yeah, at first it's so cool and wonderful, but then she sees like all these gambling dens and like other stuff. Okay. So we've gotten to this point in the movie where we're on the pleasure barge. What's happening with Ruby Rod? Because we haven't talked about Ruby Rod. Ruby Rod Rod is the same. If anything, there's more. (laughs) Fair enough. I tend to agree with you. I feel like Ruby Rod needs to be involved in the movie from the beginning. And we don't just meet him or her, in my case, halfway through. Okay. I I am honestly shocked that we have different Ruby Rods then. Interesting. Okay. Because I was, when I was explaining the plot to my friends the other night at a breakneck pace, when I brought up Ruby Rod and explained him, my friend immediately went, oh, that's 
person I cast it. And I'm like, you're exactly right. Probably. <laughs> we, well, I mean, we could easily have... We hear, like, announcements about the Gemini Croquette contest early in the movie, but we don't see anything. We could have, like... If we have any kind of prologue, the first scene after that could be, like, a hologram advertisement of Ruby Rod. Like, just popping out of the cab like no matter how much he jailbroke it there's still like ads going through corbin's cab and so this holographic ruby rod head just pops out and it's like what a god just to get the flust in paradise i mean that's the thing like anytime you need exposition in this movie that's ruby rod's job mm-hmm. there shouldn't be anyone anywhere giving any exposition that isn't ruby rod like, that's the whole thing. That's what he does. It's like he's the proto-vlogger walking around telling us all what's exactly happening. Like, that's his job. Let him do his job. Yeah. Like, you could literally have him describing the the attack of the, what's the name of the aliens? The Mangalores? Well, he does do that. The, they just don't really yeah. go into it much. Exactly. You can also have him talking about how... Uh, why this pleasure cruise is amazing. You can have it be his broadcast that's giving away the tickets. Like, not that I think that we need to do the tickets because I think we're getting around that with the with the one working hyper whatever. Yeah. But like, you can have Ruby Rod announcing the interview with this blue diva alien. And then as they're all watching the this interview, like the announcement of this interview, Corbin Dallas and Lilu and Prince Cornelius all point and go, that's the person that has the thing. Yeah. Or Lilu points. And so they see the thing on TV or on... I've seen this blue lady in my dreams. Yeah. And, like, literally they see, like, she sees it because they're, like, Ruby Rod is current events and that's what you're watching to learn everything that's going on. So more Ruby Rod is what I'm saying. Although less uh, potential sexual assault. And also uh, no uh, chemistry between Lilu and Corbin Dallas. When he says I shouldn't have kissed her in the movie, he's right, but you put it in the movie anyway. You're yeah. trying to kiss a sleeping woman. What the fuck is the matter with you? Oh, because you see, it, it's charming because then she has a gun. Equality. Mm, I hate it. Same. Okay, so we're on, so we make it to the pleasure cruise because uh, Corbin Dallas gets us there, but in, in a big thrilling event, his taxi gets exploded and they land, but they, they make it aboard. They're, sa- they're safe-ish, but now they're stuck there because they don't necessarily have a way out. I added that in. Okay. That makes <laughs> sense. Um, and then, like, we can still have them. They have to steal Zorg's ship. Yeah. It's fun. It's great. They steal uh, Bulk and Skull Alien's ship. They do whatever shenanigans. Yeah, and then... Go on. So, yeah, so then Lilu, like, she does... She, like, enters the Avatar state and is able to beat down some of the cops, but then Zorg shows up, and he just has the superior firepower. Like, he can even show up with a full platoon of his own. And, like, at this point, it's just she, she doesn't have enough left, and they corner her and attack her and leave her for her dead, but she manages to pull through. Corbin gets her back to the ship after they take out the rest of the cops, and then the bomb starts going off. And then just when it looks like she's going to turn around, that's when the evil gets in her. And Corbin can even see her, like, do a whole eyes roll back and head. She faints on the ship. Like, come on, Lilu, wake up, wake up, wake up. And they're still trying to get that to work by the time they land in the temple. Essentially, from here on out, it's the same. Okay. I'm going to plus this up by saying they're trying to escape. They're trying to get out. And there's someone hurt on the ground asking for help. And Lilu says, we have to help this person. And Corbin says, no, we can't. We have to get out. And Lilu goes with him. 
but because she did this act of this lack of compassion that's what allows the evil to get into her her head oh yeah that makes sense um it doesn't necessarily have to be someone we know i'm perfectly happy with that being a random person but like someone is hurt yeah and they choose to not they choose to leave that person behind it could even be zorg zorg is hurt and they're leaving the person who was trying to kill them behind which makes perfect sense but it's they're choosing not to have an act of compassion and that's what allows the evil in they they can even do the line from the beginning like time isn't important only life is important and that can yeah. that can be the exchange that Lilu, like Corbin says that we don't have time to go back for him and Lilu says time's not important only life's important but then he gets got mm-hmm. and then yes exactly that they land they have to activate the stones but then like when Corbin convinces her like it's Corbin and everyone else it's Corbin and Vito and Billy and Ruby all saying the wonderful things about life and how like it's important for it to keep going no matter the mistakes and the tragedies that happen because. There's so many other wonderful things that are happening. And so then it's not, uh, I, Corbin, am in love with you. It's like, here's all the wonderful things about the world. And it's not, the fifth element isn't love, it's compassion. Great, I love it. I, I compassion it. Oh, and then one more thing. Because obviously they're not going to be banging in the healing pod. So when the president right. is trying to like do the interview with them, uh, like the, he, uh, they show up with Ruby Rod... And Ruby Rod is clearly stalling for time. And the president's like, okay, just just tell me. They're not here. Where are they? And then we cut to them, like, on an actual vacation. Like, she's at a playground, or they're going for a joyride in the cab, like, out of, over the beaches, something like that. Something cool father-daughter activity. You know what I would like? I would like it if the cool father-daughter activity is them working on the cab, and it's just, like, Corbin's doing all, like, the cab working on stuff, and then she's... I mean, I'm, I'm stealing this moment from Teen Titans. <laughs> but there's the moment at the end of Teen Titans, at the end of the road trip episode, when Cyborg is working on the car, and then Raven shows up and she's covered in oil too, and she's like, I'm helping you work on your car. And it's this fun bonding moment because it's like, oh, you became friends over the course of this thing, and you now realize that this is something he cared about, so you're helping. Yeah. But that, that moment from Teen Titans, but here in this one. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. Because we have four people, we have Billy, we have Cornelius, we have Ruby Rod, and we have uh, Corbin and Cornelius. That's not confusing. Corbin, Cornelius, Billy, and Ruby Rod. And those represent, like, each one of them is doing something for the other four elements. Who's doing what? Um, Oh, now I have to line up the elements. Um, I can pitch it. Okay, well, Ruby's, Ruby's fire, and I think... Oh, I disagree. Okay. But but I'm sorry. Tell me your pit, tell me your four, and then I'll tell you my four. I think Ruby's fire just because of his personality. He is very fiery, and then great. We also instead of like the anxiety of the last match in the matchbook, like Ruby could have just like like I know spark something on his radio broadcaster. Okay. Billy would be air. Okay. I'm trying to think. I think Vito would be water, and then Corbin would be earth because he's grounded. <laughs> okay. But what's your pitch? Good. I like it. My pitch is Billy has to be water because Billy's constantly crying. <laughs> uh, Ruby Rod has to be air because he's uh, just full of hot air. He's constantly talking and there's no point when words and air aren't coming out of his mouth. And we understand the words that are coming out of his mouth. Then Cornelius has to be ground because he's the salt of the earth, the priest that really get like gets his hands dirty and is like, really caring about like the planet. Like He's doing these things to protect life and all life comes from earth. Yeah. Which leaves fire fire for Corbin Dallas, the person who works on stuff and, like, engineers things, the guy who, like, makes fire and harnesses fire in order to use it. Yeah, I think yours is better. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. 
<laughs> but yeah, and so like I think the idea, like, because the whole purpose of everything is like the fact that they have to dump dirt on the on the rocks is cool and all, but I think it's also a metaphor. And when they finally get to needing fire, Corbin's like, I don't have anything on me that makes fire. And it's like, you, you're the fiery spirit. Like, we wouldn't have gotten this far without you. You're the fire. Touch the thing. It lights up. Super laser beam. Kamehameha. Avatar state into the sky. Blow up. Uh, second moon. I don't think. I think it should just be, like, vaporized. No second moon. That's too much. They also, they say it appears to have stopped 62 miles above the surface. That's too close. It's gonna fall. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I don't even think it needs to be physical. Like, it can literally just be a big billowing ball of evil, and evil is represented by smoke and oil. Yeah, like, and that's the thing, is that it, we're not change, changing too much by saying, like, it already defies, like, physical measurements and that kind of stuff. I just think it's a bridge too far to make it a moon <laughs> at the end. I think the other thing is, like, they already said it's gonna, it's every 5,000 years. Well, we won for 5,000 years. It's going to get shot off into space to come and it'll be another 5,000 years before it's able to come back it it needs to go away otherwise it, the prophecy can't be fulfilled exactly cool all right I think that's reasonable I think that's better and it's less creepy there is an element of fifth element that is an element of fifth element and there's like a hyper sexualization that's associated with it while also doing everything else so I feel like we either need to not have any hypersexualization, or it needs to be everybody. Or at least, like, like all sorts of people. It can't just be the, the flight attendant ladies. It would have to be, like, every, it's either everybody or nobody. And my vote's probably for nobody. I think just Ruby. Fair. I'll give that to you. Just Ruby. And, and costume-wise, and then with the, with the sexiness... Like, I do, I think it's fair to show that everyone's, like, getting a case of the vapors when Ruby comes down the hall, but make it clear that, like, he's not going up to people without their consent. So yeah. rather rather than him getting real, oh, real up in that lady's face, it's just that, like, he's doing the monologue next to her and just his presence is enough to make her kind of, <sighs> but when he's actually yeah. going down on the woman or man, that's, like, clearly, like, would you be interested? Oh, yes, I would, Mr. Rod. Yes, absolutely. Some sort of consent. Uh, and I'm realizing now that if I'd been really smart, I would have cast just like someone who's perfectly gender fluid. And Ruby Rod can can do anything and be everybody to any can be anybody to everybody. Uh, but I didn't think that far ahead. Any other thoughts? Any other notes on the movie itself before we get into our recasting? I no, I think that pretty much covers it because like I covered all my main points of contention. And yeah, yeah, I think we've gotten to casting. What are some important elements from Fifth Element that like we need to like, but I should have said this first. Are there any like important, like it's not Fifth Element if there's not a multi-pass. Like what are the, the things that need to be in Fifth Element? I think we can get we rid on? of multi-pass because that's again, just a joke on how she plays with words. Fair. It's also the only quote most people know from the movie. That's true. Okay, so I would say they they think they're able to get off planet if they have this ticket, this multipass that lets them get off the planet. They're able and they're trying. They get the multipass and they get to the place where they're supposed to be, and it's still not letting them off the planet. And she's like, she keeps scanning. She goes, multipass, 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 and it just keeps not working. She's like, but I have it. I have the multipass, and she keeps trying to get the computer to read it, but it just keeps not working. And that's and then like drama and getting off. Get, getting everywhere and that that's how we get the multi-pass multi-pass multi it could even be like if the computer is voiced and it can keep on like rejected 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 but it's a multi-pass yes we know it's a multi-pass yeah exactly that okay good all right also cool. the costumes I, we 
We should still bring back Jean-Paul Gaultier for the costumes. To an extent. I think we can do homages to these costumes, but I don't think we it can It needs have... to be camp. That's, that's the thing. It's not Fifth Element if it's not camp. Like, I'm fine with camp, but not over-hypersexualized. Oh, no, like, yeah, though He can do the dramatic camp costumes without them being hypersexualized. Great, then that's fine. By all means. What, uh, what, what's the costumer's name? Jean-Paul Gaultier. That's spelled G-A-U-L-T-I-E-R. I definitely spelled it some way. <laughs> cool. All right, great. So then let's talk about casting. All right. Obviously, I think we need to start with Lilu. So I cast an older person to play Lilu because I was aiming for hyper-competent, hyper-competent action hero, and there's really only one person who can do that. But I'm more interested in hearing who your 15-year-old is. Yeah, so my 15-year-old I cast because I'm also trying... It's a real white movie, also, is the thing. Yes, it is. As far as I could tell, the only two characters of color were Ruby and Right Arm. Right Arm being the president? No, oh, okay, three. Ruby, the president, and Zorg's henchman, Right Arm. And uh, the guy that the alien turns into. Right, Aknot. There's there's four black guys and one Asian guy. Yeah. I cast Aknot before I took him out. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, but anyway, who do you, who's your 15-year-old? My 15-year-old is most well-known for Stranger Things. Uh, it's Priya Ferguson. So she's done Stranger Things, she was in The Oath, but she's pretty young, so... That yeah. makes sense that she hasn't done all that much. Mm-hmm. And the thing, like, she she's 15 years old, but she plays, like, a 13-year-old on Stranger Things. So we, she can even go younger if we need to. And she's... I mean, by the time this, by the time this actually gets made, she would be a year or two older. Yeah. So, I... Uh, um, the important thing is that, like, I want her to be young and seem young. Like, I don't, wa- I don't want her to be a love interest for anyone in this movie. No, exactly. And she, she can okay. definitely do that. Okay, good. Great, then... Fantastic. My hyper-competent action hero, like, the new Mila... Is it Jojovic or... Uh, it's Jojovic. Jojovic, okay. Mila Jojovic uh, would have been Sofia Vitella, because of course. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And so, I obviously wanted to pair someone who was <laughs> somewhat the same age as Sofia Vitella, who turns out is 40. Huh. I'm surprised as anybody. <laughs> um, and so, I my Corbin Dallas is 42, and like, I'm thinking... Who could be a new Bruce Willis but fun? Because Bruce Willis was always like kind of like the attitude guy, kind of like the the arrogance or whatever. And I like the, the the confidence, but I want to take out the arrogance and someone who's just genuinely fun. And so that's why I wanted to pair Sofia Batella with Channing Tatum. Oh, nice. And I don't normally do A-list casting, but I did a lot of A-list casting for this because it's the fifth element. I think I Part did too. Part of what makes the fifth element fun is the fact that it, we're getting to see famous people having fun. If people aren't having fun in this movie, they're doing it wrong. So we mm-hmm. need to have people who would be willing to have fun. But yeah. So I my idea was Channing Tatum. Who was your Corbin Dallas? So my Corbin Dallas, um, like originally my, the cast with the idea that he was ex-military, but honestly works really, really well as just an everyman cab driver guy. He's most recently been in stuff like the new Star Wars and Moon Knight. I've got Oscar Isaac. That's fair. Oscar Isaac most definitely ha- can give off like dad energy. Yeah. And I think, I think that was the main thing. Like, he can be dad or at very least the cool uncle. Yeah, that works for me. Cool. I got no notes against uh, against that. Let's go with uh, Oscar Isaac. All right. That brings me to Zorg. Who did you have for Zorg? For Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Yeah. This was the last person I cast because I was trying to find the right person with the right accent. Interesting. All right, go on. I did not do that. I, I, went, I went through a few people. I was like, Matthew McConaughey, almost two on the nose. Brendan Lee Mulligan, he doesn't do Southern accents as much as he does a Tim Curry. Stephen Yeun, 
haven't actually heard him do the southern accent because nope isn't out yet. <laughs> yeah. And and then I I wound up using a person who I realized I suggested last time I was on here for Titan AE. I'm thinking Jim Parsons. Interesting. Okay, why Jim Parsons? He's he can easily again same reason I was casting him as a villain in Titan AE. He can easily be like a bad person. He um he can if you watch the boys of the band where he's not a villain but he's like the antagonist and he can be very antagonistic and grating but also extremely like coy and a little bit sassy obviously. Um, right. And that's very much the elements of Zorg. Zorg's kind of like, hi there, I'm Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, and I want to show you all my robots and my weird elephant lizard. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm going to destroy everyone around me. That makes sense. I'm realizing that we basically, ca- like, we had the exact same thing in our head that we cast for. Because I also cast, like, kind of socially awkward, super smart, but also kind of an ass, but coy. Uh, it's a sort of energy you could really bring to playing Lex Luthor. <laughs> but also bring to being in uh, Now You See Me 2 in Zombieland. I went with Jesse Eisenberg. He was also in Now You See Me 1. I don't know why you why you specified Now You See Me 2. It's the one I've seen most recently. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Fair. And I can, I can definitely see him. Let him do his Lex Luthor turn that kind of crashed and burned. Well, that's the thing. Like, he's Lex Luthor in a movie that's not particularly good, but you see Jesse Eisenberg in all the roles he plays, and he's clearly supposed to be the villain. Yeah. And they keep making him the hero, and it's like, guys, that that's not what Jesse Eisenberg's for. <laughs> and, like, you make him someone like Zorg, someone where he can, like, just, just go full arrogant asshole, and that's what we want. That's what we want Jesse Eisenberg to be. Yeah, I can definitely see him in this way better. Okay, so I want to go with Jesse Eisenberg. All right, that brings us to Prince, oh, not Prince, Priest Cornelius. The priest Cornelius of, like is theoretically the one who's like the high stakes character but has to like do the ridiculous things because he's a priest and he has lots of information and he starts high but comes low he's someone that you don't expect to be funny but is actually very funny and like this guy's done mostly drama like he's a very good dramatic actor and that doesn't always convert to being able to do comedy but I want priest Cornelius to have the gravitas and be down to earth obviously because he is our representative of earth but to also be, you know, someone who you're just like, God damn, this person's just such a good actor. And that's Jeffrey Wright. Oh, yeah, him. If we had, uh, 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 oh man. What's the name of the guy, the detective in Batman? Gordon, Jim Gordon. Yeah, so we had a Jim Gordon in the last movie. We have to have a Jim Gordon in this movie. <laughs> so who did you have for your Cornelius? Um, I'm just going to quickly look up how to pronounce their name to make sure I don't get it wrong. Fair. All right. So my Cornelius, I actually did cast with the, like the slapstick and the goofy stuff in mind because we can definitely still keep some of that around and going on. Okay. But also he's still able to, and probably like no shade to the original guy, but much better also bring that the down to earthness and the care and compassion that would be required to like be this invested in life and also the fifth element itself, especially when we have a child as the fifth element this time. So I wanted someone who is, like, compassionate, but also was not afraid to do a little bit of slapstick. He most recently showed up in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and it's Kei Hoi Kwan. Okay, go on. Oh, that was it. That, that, that was my reasoning. <laughs> right, well, I meant, like, what does he do in Everything Everywhere All at Once that ma- that makes you think he's? That I he mean, his, good? his character's role in the movie is that he's the emotional center and the, a little bit spoilers, but he's kind of what inspires the main characters to basically not give in to nihilism. And so I thought it was important that he's the one who kind of spearheads this and like is explaining and imploring both 
Lilu and Corbin that like you need to understand the importance of life and the importance of existence and the universe and having compassion and caring about others. Like, and th- if there's anyone who would be able to appeal to a child actor, it would be a former child actor. Yeah, that too. Great. Let's go with Kehoi Kwong. So then we can't cast Priest Cornelius without also casting Billy, a.k.a. Baby Priest. I have his name written down as David. Oh, is that? I think that's I... his actual name. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> thought this was funnier. That, to be All fair, right. he looks like a Billy. He does look like a Billy. And there's definitely someone in the cast who's named Billy. And I was just like, ah, oh, it's probably him. <laughs> Uh, okay, who is your baby priest? My baby priest, uh, plucked from the, <laughs> trying to figure out, like, who are the teens, the teens of today that the other teens like. Okay. Some awkward youth that does look like he'd fall apart at the drop of a hat. And also my, uh, re- the, half the time I'm making things, I either have to cast a Power Ranger or someone off of High School Musical, the musical the series. This one is from the latter. Fair enough. <laughs> I've got Larry Saperstein. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh... That's a that's a baby priest. Yeah. So for me, I've been watching a lot of the TV show Ghosts. Oh, nice. And there is an actor on that show who has who just continually astounds me. And he is surprisingly young. And he's really only done, like, this is his biggest role he's ever gotten. Like, the second biggest thing he ever got was, like, he had a three, three episodes on Austin and Alley. So he's pretty young. And this actor's name is Roman Zaragoza. R-O-M-A-N... Z-A-R-A-G-O-Z-A. And he is just phenomenally good. And he's someone who can, like, put up a front of being hyper-competent, and then it just crumbles away so fast. And he's so, like, I want to, like, I want to go with this actor just because he's, like, he deeply impresses me, and he's extremely funny. Yeah, I'm down with Roman. Cool. So then I have three people left. Ruby Rod, President Lindbergh, and the Diva. And then you have the the general, I assume. I also had the Professor and Fog and Major Iceborg. Professor and Fog and Major Iceborg? Yeah, okay. So when, in the original movie, when they're uh, trying to get Corbin to come along, uh, like, with the contest that they rigged, they say that, like, it's two tickets. So they're going to send along Major Iceborg to pose as his wife. And the joke is, like, it's this very butch not a generically pretty woman. Okay. That's the funny haha. She's not, she's ugly. Uh Uh-huh. And I thought, what's a good way to update that without being really, really mean? And I think the best way would for it, this was also, I I was trying to find a woman to cast as Corbin Dallas and no one I could think of quite fit, right? But this was a carryover is that the best counterpoint would be just the blandest milquetoast white man. Funny. Got it. So I cast as Major Iceborg, Zach Woods. Great. Love it. That's very funny. I don't think we should have that role in this movie. Okay, I'm deleting I appreciate it. The work, but I appreciate the work you did. And Zach Woods is absolutely correct to do, for that. Good job. But yeah, we don't need to talk about the professor or fog. I've got Were right they arm. the ones from the beginning of the movie? Yeah. Well, you did the work. Tell us who you had for them. Okay, okay. So for fog is like the, the shipwright on the pleasure cruise in his little sailor boy booty shorts. Um. Right. Um, which, that's not for purposes of being sexualized. That, again, that's just camp. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Um, but I was just like, who's who's a lesser-known person who I also know can play really nervous, really awkward? And so I went with Zach Oyama from College Humor. Did you only cast Zach's? This is the only Zach I cast. You also cast Zach Woods. I guess I only cast Zach's. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent casting. I'm sorry, that is excellent Zach's. Zaxting. Zaxting. Nope, that doesn't work. Zaxting. Mm, don't like that. 
Good, excellent choice it's, for It's when for, you send your uh, honey pictures of people named Zach. And then who did you have for the professor at the beginning of the movie? The professor, I picked Patton Oswalt. Yes, of course, excellent. We This movie always could use more Patton Oswalt. Everything could use more Patton Oswalt. Right. Hell, Patton Oswalt can be our diva for all I care. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought long and hard about the diva, actually. Okay, great. Do you want me to just quickly run through the two that you didn't cast, General Monroe and Right Arm? Uh, yes. So for General Monroe... I just have like someone who can, who is capable of playing a villain, even if they can come off charming at, at the beginning, and that's David Harbour. Okay. Also, enjoying, of Stranger uh, Things. Stranger Things. Yeah, as I say, enjoying Stranger Things are we? I am David. For this film, David Harbour will be channeling season three of Stranger Things, where his char- character was terrible and an asshole. Got it. Okay. And then for right arm, not a major role, so I wasn't bending over backwards trying to find a major person. Uh, but remember, like ten minutes ago, when I said that I like casting Power Rangers and things. Uh-huh. Right arm is played by Jordan Fight, who's the current Gold Ranger on Power Rangers Dino Fury. Uh, Jordan Fight, you said? F-I-T-E. I wrote George, because I'm very good <laughs> at this. Jordan Fight. I, weirdly, I wasn't asking about Fight. I was asking about Jordan, because I wrote George. <laughs> uh, Golden Ranger? Yeah, Gold. He's the Gold Bozo Ranger. But that the, the Golden Ranger was the Black Ranger that was three people that got combined into one and had a stick. Uh, you know, you you started talking and all I just heard was fart noises, because the real Gold Ranger in Zeo was Jason. Oh, yeah, I mean, of course, but that's after those three guys died, and Jason's as good as three people put together. You know, it, it looks like you're saying the words three guys, but I just keep hearing fart noises. <laughs> Is that not what it was? It was totally that! No, it's just an in-joke of me and my other Power Rangers friends. <laughs> oh, okay, great, okay. We're drinking the Trey of Traforia Haterade. Whatever. Uh... <laughs> I watched Power Rangers for a really long time. I'm still um, watching it, baby! Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I've seen your Twitter. I know what's happening. <laughs> it's Power Rangers and Degrassi, and that's your life. And Glee! And Glee. But that's not... that. That's re-watching, not watching for the first time. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's comfort, like... Fireplace, blanket, mug of hot cocoa. Yeah, I love being comforted by Glee, a totally normal show with totally normal reality show spinoff. <laughs> Wait, this is the wrong uh, podcast. Sam, who do you have cast as President Lindbergh? President Lindbergh, I went with um, Birds of Prey, Pineapple Express, the other guys. I went with Rosie Perez. Nice. Who did you have? I went with um, Sleepy Hollow and that one episode of Black Mirror, uh, which happened after, what, three years of being blackballed by Hollywood? But I just like putting her in things. Nicole Bahari. Okay. I don't know who that is. You don't know Nicole Bahari? I don't think so. Bruh. Got it. Yeah, I I don't know who this woman is. Anyway, <laughs> she seems neat. I, uh, I would push us towards Rosie Perez just because despite Nicole Bahari being 42, I would push us to someone who can cast a little bit older and like a little bit more oh no i'm sorry nicole bahari is 37 what is happening why is this giving me two different pieces of information oh she's in the movie 42 but she's 37 ah. got it <laughs> wild um i would p- push us to have someone who, a little bit older uh playing the role of president you know what that's fair and so then let's talk about the diva and then we'll come back to ruby road okay you said you had someone very specific for the diva yes diva Plav laguna i needed someone tall I needed someone who is, like, used to working with makeup and prosthetics, and someone who has an air of gravitas when they enter the room. And okay. so I, I I forgot to look up their birth name, but they're much more well-known by their stage name as the drag queen Raja Gemini. That is probably the correct thing to do. Raja Gemini. Excellent. 
Okay, great. My, the person I had for the diva is an actress named uh, Felicia Rashad. She is one of the singers and uh, voices in the movie Soul. She's in Tick, Tick, Boom. I think she plays Creed's mom in Creed. Okay. But I think going uh, with Raja Gemini is the right choice. And that brings us uh, to Ruby Rod. Okay. This is a tough one. So uh, you went first for the last one, and there's a good chance you're going to sweep this one as well. Let's talk about Ruby Rod. So again, I'm realizing now that I would have loved to go with like, fabulous gender fluid uh person but i didn't do that um i went with someone who's very competent um actress because uh, i did gender swap ruby rod and she's done a lot of different things and she's done voiceover work uh and she's just kind of cool mm-hmm. i went with someone who i like i did not lean into the over sexualization i like i intentionally just made them like fun and dynamic and vloggery which is why that might not be the right choice. But she's in The 100. She's in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And she's the voice of Willow in uh, The Owl House. And that and her name is Tati Gabrielle. I do like her. Can she Can she be really high energy? Uh, yeah, can she be really high energy like Ruby? I mean, if she plays Willow, Willow's pretty high energy. Oh, that's fair. And like, be- because, because I know she's been in these other two things and can act, and then can do the high energy thing of Willow, like, I imagine, and especially... You, you play to the you, you you play to the audience you're playing for the 100 and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. You're not playing to a high energy audience, but like someone who can do cartoons, you, you got to be able to be animated and you got to convey emotions and do things on on command. Yeah, and so I I just thought Tati Gabrielle would be fun for that. But who did you have? Who's the person who clearly is? This is the only person who can play the role. Okay, like when. Breaking down Ruby Rod, and then later, like, watching his initial monologue in the show, me and my friends are like, okay, this 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 black man who is, a le- in the movie he's straight, but, like, this is the energy of someone who's fabulously gay. Correct. Very camp, and, uh, like, also brings that high energy and the drama, and isn't afraid to just make an absolute fool out of themselves. I went with Montero Lamar Hill, a.k.a. Lil Nas X. Yeah, that does make sense. Hear me out. Okay. What if Lil Nas X is Rod and Tati Gabrielle is Ruby? Oh, that would be fun. And so it's a, it's Ruby and Rod. It's not Ruby Rod, it's Ruby and Rod. Or it's Ruby slash Rod. It's stylized. Because that's kind of the dynamic for a lot of channels and Twitch and everything else that's going on. Is it, It's a dynamic between these two people that's like kind of generating and it's they're able to bounce off each other. And instead of having this like... Uh, and it's a double act instead of a, a solo show. And that way it's less about, and like they each exude certain charms and like the, and Tati Gabrielle can be the bubbly, like energy, high energy. We're keeping everything going. And then um, Lil Nas X can just be like, just exude. Um, sex appeal. Sex appeal. I could, I was looking for a different word. Sex appeal is the correct word. Great. Yeah. Just exude sex appeal. <laughs> I was looking for like pheromones. Or... <laughs> that's No, that's very different. Yeah, no, I, but it was, I, 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 like, I can't even think of the word I was trying to think of, which is why I couldn't think of the word. It doesn't matter. Sex appeal. Just exude sex appeal. And I can definitely see, like, the staging of, like, that initial getting led down all the various hallways. Like, it's one of them going one way and then hand Corbin off to the next person. And, yes, absolutely. Uh, the only issue is that because it's two people, that then makes there be five people at the end instead of four. So we probably should just do Lil Nas X instead of Ta- Tati Gabrielle, because that is... I think I mean, ultimately Lil- it depends, like, do we want them to be more of a vlogger or more of a, like, sexy radio host? Can Lil Nas X act? 
I want to say yes, but I don't think he's ever actually acted like outside of his music videos. And most of his emoting mm-hmm. is, I guess, technically more on the dramatic side. Yeah. I think you're right that Lil Nas X captures the energy of the role and what it certainly was. Like I said, I'd love a, a Jenny I'm, I think but... I think it would be great to go with Tati Gabrielle. Yeah, I think that's what we have to do in this case, just because we don't know if Lil Nas X can act. <laughs> But you are correct, that is absolutely kind of the same vibe. In the same way that Channing Tatum has the same Bruce Willis vibe, Lil Nas X has the same Ruby Road vibe. Yeah. But for our version, yeah, let's do Tati Gabriel. Yeah. And like the other thing is that it'd be fun watching her be a more animated character in live action because I've only seen bits and pieces of 100 and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, but she's a much more serious character there. She is. And which is why I think it's fun that she plays Willow. <laughs> She's also in Uncharted uh, and does other things. But these are the four things I listed. Um, Cool. So that brings us to writer-director, unless you have... That covers everybody. Okay. For writer-director, for this, I have a hyphenate. Do you have a separate writer-director or do you have a singular person? I have a writer-director duo. Okay, great. Oh, they're a duo. So like they they usually work together? Yeah. They both do both? Yeah. That's not fair. I picked someone who does both, but I just picked one. (laughs) Tell me about uh, the one you have for writer. No, like they both write and they both direct. Okay, tell me about one of them. (laughs) Okay. My first half of this duo is best known for uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Essentially, this big break. And I I picked them as the duo because this movie, the the way I designed it in my head, I kind of realized it was almost like a mirror image to Everything Everywhere All at Once. Whereas like, EIO is about like not giving in to nihilism of the self, and this movie is kind of okay. like not giving in to nihilism about the universe. Okay. Also, like the other thing, a major thing for me starting out before I started paring down the field was this movie is a lot of spectacle, and we need directors and writers who can bring meaning out of the spectacle. And this is also something yes. that he can do. I agree with that. Uh, cool. All right, that's a fun choice. I went with a writer who got his big break with two huge movies that came out in 2020. And it's just like, ah, oh, buddy. Aww. And so he wrote one of them and then he wrote and directed the other one. He okay. wrote Love and Monsters and wrote and directed Spontaneous. Hmm. Which are both two fun movies that are kind of like, love is a big important part of both. That's and they're true. Like, they're spectacle. And there's a lot of spectacle in a movie about like horrific monsters <laughs> that like... Weird apocalypse roam the world. And also, he's the writer behind uh, the Divergent movie, Insurgent, so... But we're not going to hold that against him. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that Brian Duffield would be a a fun choice for writer-director, because A, he knows how to write sci-fi fantasy stuff. I'm sure he grew up with The Fifth Element. And he can direct something that has, like, is ridiculously genre, but also heartfelt. And he got screwed over by the pandemic, and I feel bad, and I want I, I want something nice to happen. Yeah. Okay, so my... I never actually said the name of the guy for my duo, so now I might as well say both. It's Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, also known as Daniels. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the writing team, the Daniels. Yeah, the, the writing team, and they also both directed Everything Ever All at Once. Got it. What we could do is we could have them write it and uh, Brad Duffield direct. It would likely be the reverse of that. It would probably be Brian Duffield writing and then them directing. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, written by Brian Duffield and then directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinart. Cool. All right, great. Let, let's let do a run-through of the second fifth element. The fifth second el- The second fifth element. The sixth element. 
the tenth element. Because <laughs> multiplication. Lilu is going to be played by Priya Ferguson. Corbin Dallas will be played by Oscar Isaac. Zorg will be Jesse Eisenberg. Priest Cornelius will be uh, Kei Hua Kwan. Ruby Rod will be Tati Gabrielle. David, a.k.a. Baby Priest, will be Roman Zaragoza. General Monroe will be David Harbour. Right Arm will be Jordan Fight. President Lindbergh will be Rosie Perez. The Diva will be Raja Gemini. All of this will be written by Dan Kwan and directed by Daniel Scheinart. I think I said everybody. You Great. No, you said your writer was Brian Duffield. The writer is Brian Duffield and then directed by Dan Kwan and, Dan, and Daniel Scheinart. Yes. 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 Good. Cool. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> uh, cool. All of that is the 52nd element. Exactly. Excellent. Cool. Uh, Tanner, thank you for uh, making me watch this movie and for remaking it with me. Now's the time to talk about your four podcasts? Tellurium. Say that again? Tellurium. That's the 52nd element. Ah, good. That's a good joke. That's a good pull. I'm a fan. Excellent. Anyways, oh, man. Tellurium. Yes, I have podcasts. Uh, my first podcast is Not If I Reboot You First, which is like this show's cousin. <laughs> All right. Um, in the sense that we take our favorite properties and reboot or sequel or adapt them before Hollywood has the chance to. Uh, we'd cast a wider net than this show in the sense that we will turn TV shows into movies and movies into TV shows and video games into plays. I don't think we've actually done that yet, but we could in the future. Medium is not important. Uh, And also, usually, we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. It's not nearly as structured as this. I mean, it's fun, and it occurs to me that if if this all goes the way I think it is, I'm going to be guesting on your show probably right about the time that this episode actually comes out. Yeah. Which is going to be very funny. And you have no idea what I'm going to talk about. Truly don't. And I have, and I have no idea if you've covered this particular topic on your show before. I hope you haven't. We've gotten to the point where we can probably start doing uh, re-reboots. <laughs> we'll find out. Mine is very specific, but also very well known. But also not that well known. It's going to be interesting. I'm not even telling you the medium. Well, make sure you find out. Uh, and to do so, you can find on your podcatcher of choice. And you can find us on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod, which are the letters for not if I beat you first. And that's pronounced NEARIF. My other podcast, which Sam has also been on, whether he liked it or not, is Loser Like I Me. I had a lovely time. <laughs> you had a lovely time on the podcast, but we did make you watch Glee. That is true. Yeah, Loser Like Me is a Glee recap and review podcast, which we'll probably be uh, just starting season three by the time this episode comes out. Um, As of recording, we just wrapped up the Glee project, which was a nightmare. I felt like I was on Dateline. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can find that podcast on Twitter at LoserLikeMePod. I also have a Pokemon actual play podcast that is nebulously on hiatus we're slowly getting back into the swing of things because one of my players went to radio school and now has a real radio show gross how (laughs) dare they (laughs) uh but yeah it's called pokemon adventures of the millennium even though it's a pokemon podcast we do cuss so like don't turn it on for the kids unless you want them to cuss and that can be found on twitter at pkmn underscore millennium and i've also got a project i'm working on with friend of the show claire mulcarin that we should be able to announce in a few months, but it's still a secret project, so that's all I'm going to say. I know about this project, and I'm very excited about it. Oh, sweet. I thought <laughs> I didn't know how many secrets we were keeping from our friends. No, Claire told me about this, but uh, I, I haven't announced it to anybody. I'm not going to announce it, oh, but yeah, like, obviously. that's great. Enjoy. <laughs> I can't believe Sam broke the NDA. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be super fun. Very excited. 
Um, uh, cool. And then me as a human, you can find at Sparky Upstart. So if I, when I do start announcing things, just watch that space. Yeah, Sparky Upstart where? On Twitter. On Instagram, it. it's Sparky Young Upstart. There you go. Because I'm not 30 yet. Uh, Damn it. Neat. I have four months I left. Turned 34, I turned 34 last month. It's fine. You wear it well. Thank you. I'm wearing a Settlers of Catan t-shirt. That's how cool I am. I only saw like the top half. I'm like, is that Half-Life? No, it's Bricks. Ah. <laughs> if you're interested in following me on social media, I am at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or you can follow the podcast at Ideal Remake on Twitter or Instagram. Or join us on Facebook, Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. Or you can check the show notes of this very episode and join Ideal Remake on the Dueling Genre Discord, where we chat about all things, and it is very easy for you to tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> it, hasn't hap- it hasn't happened yet, which means that I can only assume I've never, ever made a mistake. But if you think I have, someone's got to let me know. To be fair, I tell you you're wrong all the time, but privately, so that I don't embarrass you. <laughs> but I'm supposed to be embarrassed. That's how you get likes. <laughs> but that is also true. And then as... Being as I Do Remake is part of the Dueling Genre Network, I always try to talk about one of the other shows on Dueling Genre, and this week, this week, this episode, I'm going to be talking about Doom Patrol Radio, which is hosted by Mark Meadows and Nathan Alexander. When Doom Patrol is on, it airs every week, that podcast airs every week, and they basically rewatch the episodes of Doom Patrol and then talk about it, and they talk about how it ties in with the comics and how it works and how much they enjoy the episode. They are big fans of Doom Patrol, and I get it. It's super fun. So yeah, if you're a fan of Doom Patrol, check out Doom Patrol Radio. So now I believe we have come to the end and we will end this podcast the way I end all podcasts. Tanner, what is your favorite quote from the movie The Fifth Element? Corbin Dallas! Here he is, the one and only winner of the Gemini Croquette Contest. This boy is fueled like fire, so start melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot, hot, hot! The right size, right build, right hair, right on, right on, right on. And he's got something to say to those 50 billion pairs of V's out there. Pop it, D-man! Uh, hi. Unbelievable! Quiver, ladies, quiver. He's gonna set the world on fire right here from five to seven. You'll know everything to know there is about the D-man. His dreams. His desires, his most intimates of intimates. And for what I'm looking at to intimate is his middle name. So tell me, my man, you nervous in the service? Uh, not really. Freeze those knees because Corbin's in the place and he's on the case. Yesterday's frog will be tomorrow's prince of Frostin Paradise, the hotel of a thousand and one follies and lollies and lickum lollies, a magic fountain flow of nonstop wine, women, and hoochie coochie coo all night long. All night long, all night. Start licking your stamps, girls, because this guy's going to have you writing home to mama here from five to seven. And I'll be your voice, your tongue. I'll be hot on the trail of the sexiest man of the year. D-man, your man, my man. I, it is, you are genuinely the first person who researched and looked up something for a quote for the end of the movie. I'm, gen- I'm so impressed. That's amazing. I spent, <laughs> I spent the entire hour and a half trying to find the right transcription of it. Ah, oh, you did such a good job. <laughs> Thank you. Did I say the right thing? You did. I'm um, high and not really. You right? did. You're perfect. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Because I did that from memory. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, cool. I'm stopping the recording. All right, me too.